Welcome to Technovation, a weekly conversation with people who are shaping the technology landscape. I'm Peter High, president of Meta Strategy, advisor to technology executives, Forbes columnist, book author, and your host. Each episode of Technovation features insights from top executives and thought leaders at the intersection of business, technology, and innovation. If you like what you hear, we'd be grateful if you give us a rating on iTunes or through whatever other source you use for podcasts. And please subscribe so you don't miss a thing. Thank you. My guest today is Sally Gilligan. Sally is the Chief Information Officer and Head of Strategy for Gap Inc., a Fortune 500 clothing retailer with annual revenues exceeding $16 billion. In this role, Sally oversees Gap's technology organization and leads the creation of Gap's long-term strategy. Prior to joining Gap, Sally was a senior analyst at E1 Global. In this interview, we discuss the modernization journey Gap's technology team has been on, how Sally leverages her strategy, finance, and supply chain backgrounds in a role, and the interplay between the company's enterprise, digital, and data strategies. We discuss several aspects of the COVID-19 pandemic, such as how it forced agile and innovative thinking, how it accelerated several trends that were on the roadmap, some of the transformations the company made that helped prepare it for the pandemic, and some of the indelible marks of the pandemic that Sally believes will remain once we return to a new normal. Lastly, we discuss the benefits of having a diversity of talent in technology, the state of the union of women in technology, the importance of having a pipeline and role models for underrepresented groups in technology, and a variety of other topics. This interview features insights from my upcoming book, Getting to Nimble, How to Transform Your Company into a Digital Leader. It's available now for pre-order on Amazon or through gettingtonimble.com. Stick around after the interview to learn more. Sally Gilligan, welcome to Technovation. It's great to speak with you today. Thank you for having me, Peter. Thrilled to be here. Well, thank you. Um, well, I, I, I thought we would begin, uh, Sally, with your current role. You are the Chief Information Officer and the Head of Strategy at Gap, and that's a really interesting set of uh, combination of um, responsibilities that you have. And I wonder if you could take a moment and just uh, uh, provide a little bit of background in the, into the two sides of your responsibilities. Um, sure. It's, it's First of all, both roles are really fun, and I'm thrilled to have them. And so from a a CIO perspective, I head up our technology globally and really was asked to step into this role to help lead our transformation. I think as everyone has seen, um, technology is really leading everything we do, everything in our um, daily lives, you know, to everything we do as a company anymore has become an integral part of driving our strategy um, forward. Uh, My background and, and my career has been more akin to strategy. And I think as we start looking towards where do we wanna take the company and where is the customer going, um, I think it was a natural progression um, for the transformation that we're on as a company and where we're at um, currently. And that's interesting. And, and talk a bit about uh, what the logic was in the combination. There have been a number of, uh, although not many, it's a very select uh, club that you're a member of, uh, who have had CIO and strategy responsibilities. Uh, others have pointed to the fact that the CIO is one of these rare roles within or- the organization that touches the entire enterprise and and even has externally facing responsibilities and therefore has special insights into the goings on of the various parts of the organization such that it can equip the right kind of person for this. I, I should also hasten to add that in your background, you've got a strategy background. You were a former consultant at BCG, uh, you know, you, you you have an MBA, and so you 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 don't have like necessarily only the technical chops. You also have the uh, uh, a strategy background to boot, which I have to imagine uh, bolstered the the case for your added responsibilities. But talk a bit about the you know how it came about, if you don't mind. No, sure. And first of all, I think some of it too, Peter, is you know was a function of my experiences and the ability to bring those two things together. 
But I think it also is really a function of where we are, like you mentioned, in a transformation as a company, I think, as we continue to look forward of how do you put the customer at the center and where is the customer going, you know, from a strategic lens and how do we take our four brands and how do we truly drive um, our our portfolio strategy that we've, um, you know, been speaking about publicly, underlying a lot of that is our digital capabilities, both for our customer and how that shows up and everything our brands do, as well as for our teams internally. How do you keep modernizing how we do work as an organization? And so I think the two sides of the house um, have a very important role to play with each other um, and actually are integral in terms of how you're choosing to do your investments, how you're accelerating innovation, how you're actually accelerating change uh, within an organization. And I think that was some of the thinking about being able to really um, pull us forward and frankly leapfrog where we've been in a more traditional um, sense. Yeah, you you uh, highlighted a few different areas in terms of the customer experience, the portfolio strategy, the development of some of the digital capabilities. As you think more comprehensively across the strategy of the organization, how much of it is brought to life through digital or technology capabilities? Big parts of it. So we've talked uh, very openly, as we've said, this is where we're going as a company, you know, first and foremost, putting the customer at the center of that. Um, we've talked a lot about the power of our, what we call the power of our platform. And we run a formidable digital platform, including all of our Omni capabilities across our store. And when we talk about that, it's not just the digital platform, so to speak, but it's every way we touch the customer, how she engages with us, where she engages with us, how she engages with us. And that really is a tight integration of bringing your technologies across many different fronts, the data across many different fronts together. And so the ability to do that is really um, important in your technical team. And it also required us to really modernize. Um, Our technical teams have been on a tremendous transformation, developing modern ways of working. Um, We've done a huge implementation of our cloud strategy to really leapfrog uh, where our infrastructure is that allows us to move faster. And behind all of this, and you'll see a common theme is how do you actually increase speed to market um, across everything from our physical product um, as well as our, you know, digital products and our digital capabilities that touch our customer. Very interesting. Um, I, I wanted to also just cover more generally speaking your background. As I mentioned, a, a very unusual one uh, among chief information officers. I mean, you've worked in in finance and supply chain and operations. Your your role immediately preceding your role as uh, uh, chief information officer of the company was as senior vice president of supply chain strategy and product operations, for example. Um, I talk a bit about you know how you've brought so many different skills together, and and, and actually I, I'd also be interested um, to what extent do you, as especially on the CIO side of your set of responsibilities, draw upon your background in supply chain, in product and operations, in finance, uh, to color your experience as a chief information officer, perhaps differently from some of your peers. Sorry, a lot in there. So I'm going to try to take them all out of time, but I, I love it. Um, no, first, you know, I'm spoiled and I started my career, as you mentioned, um, in really client service and a combination of financial services and strategy um, and took that as a way you learn many different models, right? You see many different companies, many different models, tremendous learning. Um, and the finance side of my house also, you know, deep background in economics and fundamentally what drives a company. Um, And that's what led me into the supply chain job. And during my time in our supply chain, we did a pretty large transformation. And that transformation was really around our speed to market, as I mentioned earlier. And we really built our supply chain into a responsive um, supply chain. And I think with that comes, when you go across that, I say any transformation is fundamental in people, process, and tools, and how you go about that from an operations perspective. 
But what I learned on the operation side of the house was scale. How do you operate at scale? How do you how do you manage teams at scale? Um, and how do you do that in a way that doesn't get in the way of the transformation and the innovation? Um, and so when you talk about bringing those composite skills, the role of a CIO these days are to take, there's so much innovation going on, the speed of change. I mean, even the disruption we've all just experienced with the pandemic this past year, you know, I think the terms the industry uses is it, it fast forwarded digital transformation by three years of what people were, you know, assuming they would get done. Um, and I think as a CIO, you really have to be able to understand which of those come to bear on your business and really understanding your customer, understanding how you actually impact operations and people's jobs and how they do their jobs and also being able to understand how you do that at scale, frankly, and that transformation. And so I think I actually have been very fortunate in being able to bring those skills to bear um, on what tradition- traditionally is a more of a technical role, if you will. Yeah. Talk a little bit, a little bit about how you see the interplay between enterprise strategy, IT and digital strategy, and data strategy. Um, the thread that's pulled through uh, each of those, and, and the extent to which you see those as sort of um, all part of one plan, or the alignment of several plans altogether. Um, I think it's alignment of several things that come together, and I think first and foremost, it starts with where is your customer at and where is your customer going. Um, and I think we've anchored our strategy around that. And then how do you bring that to life? So what capabilities are needed to bring that to life? And when you look at capabilities, your technology portfolio becomes that suite of capabilities. So how do you bring um, that building? And so that really, it's super strong connection for us between that strategic plan of how do we enable the customer? Therefore, what technology capabilities do you need to do that? And of course, underlying all of that, you know, there's so many conversations these days about the value of data and how you use data effectively, especially with the advent of so much AI and ML really shaping um, the future. And so how you think about data, I say data is one of your assets as a company and how well you can bring it to bear because it's only as good as the insights it brings and only as good as the decisions that it helps drive. And so I think technology is the glue that brings those two things together, if you will. And so it is a tightly integrated um, plan across many disciplines within our company as well. You, you uh, began to, to mention some of the, the changes brought about by the, the pandemic and, and all of the consequences of that. Uh, I, this is especially for retailers has been a trying time. Th- those that have at least some uh, portion of their revenue earned through uh, brick and mortar stores, as of course uh, your brands do. Uh, and and I, I obviously, it's also a time where those organizations like yours that have a, uh, a, a strong foundation digitally, you know, were, have been uh, leaning on that digital presence as a means of, of um, interacting with customers, selling, obviously. Talk a bit about um, some of the lessons from the pandemic and the, way, the methods, especially in those early days, of changing from, you know, your kind of... Um, omni-channel, uh, omni way of, of working with clients to leaning on some of those digital capabilities when it was necessary to do so? No, it's a great question. So we are very fortunate, as you mentioned, we actually ran a very formidable digital business and an online business, but it did require even the scale that we've seen the transition occur this year um, required a distortion. And um, I think if you go back and kind of say, what are the behaviors that changed you know, one, I think it required you to have multiple scenarios that may play out and how quickly um, as an organization, you know, we all talk about wanting to be agile. Um, there's nothing that tested that more than the pandemic and your ability to make decisions quickly. 
um, to actually understand where your customer wanted or where they were going and how do you make that happen. Um, so I will also say that, you know, the one positive thing that came out of that is it also forced innovation, right? In the moment of need, when you have to think differently and you have to come up with solutions, it allowed you to make decisions move faster. And so there were many really great cultural things that I think we learned that we'll take forward in how we operate and how to really empower our teams to keep delivering. And I will say we also learned, um, in addition to running our digital business, we were lucky. We had gone through a very large automation and transformation of our supply chain, which enabled us to beat that demand. Um, I had talked earlier, um, we had gone through a very big transformation of our infrastructure um, into the public cloud that also enabled us to scale um, real time and take our employees remote. There were many things that we were just fortunate where we were in a transformation and modernization journey um, at the time. At the same time, I'll also say the innovation came through new Omni capabilities or faster Omni capabilities too. Uh, we didn't offer curbside previously in our stores. And being able to do that, particularly in many of our suburban locations, was has been very, value, very, very valuable for folks. And so really, again, I think it all comes back to meeting the customer where they are. And, you know, in particular in this setting, we also used a lot of technology to make sure we had safe retailing um, for all of our employees and for our customers. Um, so there were many wonderful things that came out of it too, but I think the cultural tenets that I actually really loved as a leader was the ability to, you know, disaggregate decision making, but really empower teams um, and the speed at which we were able to move. And I think those are lessons for all leaders to take forward. Um, doesn't have to be a pandemic, <laughs> hopefully, to cause that um, cultural shift. But yeah, and it sounds like um, there are some ideas that arose, some innovations that that came to play, like for instance, curbside pickup that but for this crisis may not have, you may not have had the impetus to push forward, but will have presumably profound implications on the other side of this once we return, I hope sooner rather than later, let's hope to some kind of new normal. Are there other examples that you would cite that are like that, the innovative ideas, again, that you probably wouldn't have had a reason to, to focus on or uh, strive to, to produce, but for you know, the, 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 the um, necessity of being the mother invention, the tremendous necessity that, that this, uh, this crisis created. I would say it's um, what comes to mind is more that they accelerate them, right? Many of these were on the roadmap. Yes, we'll get to them, um, and, you know, in prioritization. But I think it goes back to, and I will keep saying this, like putting your customer first and what does your customer want in those behaviors? And it forced a reprioritization. The other one that's been, you know, for years has been out there with really low adoption was contactless payment. Right. It was in certain cities. There was high adoption of it, but it really wasn't widespread. Well, now it's widespread and probably, you know, customers probably aren't going back from that. Um, so I think there was a lot of wonderful acceleration that I think will help move um, many industries forward. But particularly in retailing, I think it's allowed us to start to accelerate. How do you bring um, more experiences to your customer and especially being able to do that faster? So. That's interesting. And I, I know that part of your ability to uh, to make the changes at the pace that you've been able to has been the the work you and your team have done in modernizing the technology stack. If you had an antiquated, a largely antiquated uh, tech stack, your ability to make change quickly would have been impeded by that that uh, the, the fact that the technology wouldn't be able to move as quickly. Perhaps wouldn't be you know um, uh, fit together in a way that would would facilitate that. Talk a bit about some of the steps, obviously, uh, with, with, without understanding, of course, what was what was to come, but some of the steps that you and the team worked on prior to the pandemic that paid off uh, in, in light of the necessities that were required there. 
It's a great question, Peter. And I think the credit goes to my team. Um, I'm very fortunate to get to work with them. We really set off on a pretty large transformation. And one of the reasons, you know, you asked before with my background, how did I end up in this role? It was one of the reasons they asked me to come over and help lead um, the team through a technology transformation, knowing that we needed to set ourselves up for how we wanted to be able to deliver for the future. And, you know, I'm going to use a number of the buzzwords, but they really are all meaningful in moving our organization forward and really putting us in a very competitive place. And, you know, first it started with how we operate as a technology organization. We went through a very big organization. We had been a, a user of the agile methodology for some time, but we maybe weren't doing it consistently and we hadn't truly set our organization up to maximize that value. So we went through a big um, transformation into really operating in a DevOps model. And really taking product ownership. And for us, what does that mean? You know, from a product standpoint, well, we, we use the term dirt to shirt and then to customer, right? And so all the way from the design, um, from the raw materials, all the way through to selling to our customers and organized our product teams around how we do business. And what's behind that is understanding the customer, understanding the process, you know, for those that support the technology and the supply chain, do you deeply understand how our supply chain works, what the constraints are? And when you make that real for your engineers, it's amazing the innovation that comes out of that and how they can actually um, forward and the acceleration of what the teams have delivered has been amazing in that. And so that, you know, and I go back to the people process and tools, that foundational change and how we set our teams up and empowered our teams and the learning um, and the deep understanding of the business was very, very powerful. And I think a big portion of our accelerant. And then we went through a very large infrastructure modernization, which I mentioned, which was, you know, and we were fortunate in that our journey to the cloud was really centered on acceleration of capabilities to the end customer and to the business. And so it wasn't a, you know, a cost savings, you know, business case, which often sometimes the lift to the cloud is. So we were actually able to do the engineering and the re-architecting to really modernize and accelerate our capabilities. And that's a multi-year journey and not one that's easy <laughs> either, I will say. Um, and we're still not done. You know, there's still areas that we're working through to do that. But we did start, and I think this was the other learning, we really started with our customer-facing capabilities and our inventory capabilities and those that were going to move the business fastest. Um, and that was behind the um, tool component. And then with all of that came the adoption of new processes, right? New technology, um, new ways of working within the DevOps models, the processes and the decentralization, but yet the guardrails were incredibly important to really empower your teams and to let them deliver. And I think it's those three things together. And we, um, you know, we're two years into our transformation when the pandemic hit. And um, but without that, I think we would have had a very different experience as a company. Very interesting. There's nothing like a crisis to focus one's mind. And you talked <laughs> about how you you pulled, I believe you said almost three years of uh, innovation forward on the roadmap. It's a remarkable what can be accomplished when when one has that focus and when the priori priorities naturally go to the things that are most important, frankly, to survive and make sure that the organization is in fact resilient. I'm curious um, to what extent, so given the, the sort of the, the, that, that pace during this crisis of throughput, of innovation, um, of uh, the delivery of new capabilities, what what do you what do you anticipate or what do you believe will happen once a new normal is is achieved? Do do the for for the gap or more generally speaking, does the ephemera does does the sort of natural um, you know tasks daily daily tasks that come into play that that take a certain amount of time that that start to crowd out some of that ability to move fast? Does it return or do you feel as though you know the the fact that the organization has proven it to to itself? 
that it can operate at this hyperspeed, uh, that it can do so and can sustain that? I'm going to answer two different ways because I, I love the question. Um, I think it's two things. I think it was too big of a step change to ever go back, um, just to answer. And I, I, it's the same thing I would answer when you ask about you know, remote working, right? I don't think anyone's ever going to 100% go back to the same traditional way they work because while there's been things that have been really tough about that, there's also been things that have been really empowering and great um, for your employees. I would argue the same thing in the way we've been working. Um, I think, you know, some of the things I spoke with, clear decision-making, clear prioritization sounds so easy, um, very hard to do in large-scaled organizations often. And so I think some of those learnings we've had, we've really had very witting conversations to say, we're not going back. We're going to hold on to these things. How do we keep operating in that way? Um, and to understand the benefit, I think the most rewarding things for the teams, and I am spoiled and want to underscore this, the success is really all due to my team, is when you see the satisfaction from being able to touch the business and touch the customer and create outcomes, it's hard to ever take that away from someone. Again, that's incredibly motivating and probably one of the most beautiful things you can do um, for a broader organization. And so I don't see that changing. I think the pace, I don't think the pace is sustainable. I think people were really willing to do um, abnormal um, levels of effort and it's truly impressive. One, just because of the situation. I think people are very willing to do all hands on deck. But um, also I think that you know people were themselves going through a normal adoption between it's hard to separate work and home when it's all become one thing. <laughs> and um, so I think respectfully not to continue to ask you that of your teams at that level, but finding that right pace of how do you take all the positive things, but make sure that we give people back some balance as we go back into the what whatever the quote normal is post post pandemic. Yeah. Yours is a company that's headquartered in the San Francisco Bay Area, actually in San Francisco, in fact. And uh, although I know you've got teams in places beyond that, there, there's been, I know, a generally... Uh, I mean, you you, are, you run a tech division in these you know the capital of technology for Earth, <laughs> and and <laughs> therefore there is a tremendous uh, um, there there's a a war for that great talent that you're a part of, and and I'm wondering you know is there anything about the the crisis the ability to work from anywhere that has you rethinking talent strategies to any any uh, great degree. So I think, um, as you mentioned, we actually run three uh, development centers globally, two in the United States and um, one in India. And so I think the reality is with tech, like you have to have, first of all, a diversity of talent in order to have innovative ideas, innovative thoughts. You really do have to pull talent from many different places. Um, I think we are spoiled. I will say that being in the Bay Area, um, the access we have to talent, but not just talent, um, the ecosystem that exists in the Bay Area, the idea, the innovation that's here, that's also really important for the teams and is actually a accelerator for our teams. But I think the reality is um, we have learned that we can do a lot of things remote. Um, we've also learned there's some things you can't do that you really do need to do in person. And there's some innovation and there's some you know, thinking that is best done through um, collaboration. But I think we've also found that you can collaborate uh, many different ways. So I'm answering the question both ways. What I would say is, I think we already had a talent strategy that was distributed and global and feel very strongly in the diversity of that strategy. I think we've learned ways that we can further empower that. And I think we've learned ways that we can further support our employees so that they have more choice and flexibility. Um, at the same time, it is not lost on me the benefits you get from being close to Silicon Valley and what that's meant for us as an organization. Great points. Uh, speaking of diversity, uh, you are representative of a growing sorority of technology executives, uh, chief information officers, 
um, in, in corporate America, among other places, among large organizations. And I wonder if you wouldn't mind taking a moment just to reflect on the state of the union of women in technology, not historically a field that has been uh, adequately represented by, by women, but one that is growing. Uh, again, you, you being a great representative of that, I, be, I w would be interested in some reflections that you might have as to the progress that, that, that has been made, but also the progress uh, to come. So first, it's a topic that's very dear to me. And, um, you know, I think there's a lot of work to do. And I think there's been a lot of wonderful progress, too. Um, and I'll start with, you know, I'm fortunate to participate with a number of my peers across a number of different women's leadership um, organizations within tech. And I think those organizations are really important to continue to role model, um, provide opportunities. We also sponsor a number of wonderful organizations, um, you know, Girls Who Code, um, Girls in Tech, that are also pipeline organizations that, you know, begin to show opportunities to women younger in their careers, whether they're just coming out of school, whether they're actually making choices um, as they enter their education around what is possible and what you can do and um, how do you do it and how do you have access. And so I think it takes all ends of that pipeline. Um, I think it takes role modeling in many different places um, to make it happen. And this is what I will say is I think, you know, while there is progress in the industry, it still is, you know, it's, it bounces around, but it's still only roughly a quarter um, of the population, which is not representative of the populations in all of the markets <laughs> that support it. And with the reality that technology, you know, people say software ate the world, you know, that has taken over, there's a shortage of talent, right? And continuing, and I do very strongly, I mentioned it earlier, I do believe that the best talent comes from all places, right? At the end of the day, we're building capabilities and we're innovating representative of who we all are. Um, and we are at our best when you have different points of view, different ways of thinking, different ways of leading. Um, and so impairment, that's, that's an imperative to me as a leader. So. Yeah. Are there similar strategies you're pursuing for um, as you contemplate diversity and inclusion in, in the various ways that that can be applied even beyond gender? Um, is it a similar strategy you're thinking about as you look to further diversify the team? It is, and I think it's very important. And I think technology as a whole is very dedicated to it, recognizing that there's opportunity. Um, you know, in particular, when you look at, you know, just to not to pick out two, is there's many different diversity aspects, but if you look at the representation of African-American or Latinx within technology, it is disproportionately low relative to, um, frankly, the population at large. And again, it comes back to pipeline. It's the same conversation I just had around women. It has to start younger, that people have to have role models, they have to have opportunity. Um, and again, when we look at what's needed to truly move the industry forward and the amount of talent that's needed in the industry, it has to be diverse and it has to continue to come from more places. And so I'm very excited. We do a lot to sponsor um, growth across all areas of diversity. I think as a company, it's paramount to what we do um, and who we are. And so we are uniquely positioned to continue to see progress made. So. Excellent. And as you, uh, Sally, as you look to the future, what are some trends that particularly excite you that are perhaps just making their way onto your roadmap? Uh, that's a great question and a fun one. So, um, no, I think like, again, I'll speak first and foremost to data. I think as, you know, the application of what's going on and some of the innovation in um, AI um, in particular, it, it's just, it's nascent right now. And you actually see, you know, there's a lot of excitement around it, but when you see the impact it's having, but the potential, there's quite a lot. Um, but behind that is also, you know, a big thing that's important and on my mind is privacy and making sure that we understand it. Um, and so how you use data, there's a lot of innovation going on on how you can still use data to create better and richer experiences, but still protect individuals um, from 
how their data is used and how that's personified. And so I'm very interested in that space. I think there's a lot to continue to come there. Um, and I think most large companies are still scratching at the surface of the potential. So that is great. I think also, um, you know, in the U.S., when you compare us to some of the um, some of the opportunities that are abroad, we still have a long way around payments. Um, there's a lot of disruption going on in fintech and digitalization of that space, um, and I think that continues to be exciting. Um, and then on the infra side, right, um, there's a lot of hype around 5G and what that could mean and what that brings in terms of our ability to continue to um, the speed and the richness of the content we can build. So. Those are just a few of them, but I, I think some of the technology is already here. The other thing that excites me is some of it hasn't been brought into bear on some of the everyday problems we experience. Um, in our industry in particular, um, fit is one of the number one problems <laughs> that you fit in apparel, particularly in online shopping. Um, and there's a tremendous amount of opportunity around that um, that I don't think anyone's really solved or cracked. And so I think those are some of the areas that I find fun as you look in the future. Yeah, very exciting. It'll be exciting to see how those continue to develop and the role the Gap will play in doing that. So Sally Gilligan, thank you so much for a stimulating conversation covering so much that that you and your team have, have done and accomplished during very trying times. A bit more about your fascinating career path as well that's led you to these uh, dual set of responsibilities that, though not unique, are certainly unusual, we can say. Uh, and thank you for, for a great conversation overall. Well, Peter, thank you for having me. I'm thrilled to do it and just a fun conversation. So appreciate the time today. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in. Please join me on Friday when my guest will be Andy Karaboudis, the Group Chief Information and Digital Officer of National Grid. This interview featured insights that you'll find in my upcoming book, Getting to Nimble, How to Transform Your Company into a Digital Leader. In an era of unprecedented technology progress and disruption, it's imperative that companies transform themselves to keep up with their digitally native competitors. In Getting to Nimble, I explore how companies, including Capital One, FedEx, CarMax, Domino's Pizza, The Washington Post, Walmart, and others, have modernized their practices related to people, processes, technology, ecosystems, and strategy. And I provide a framework for companies looking to do the same. To learn more, visit gettingtonimble.com.